after the success of my uh, purchase of uh, Twitter, I recently acquired uh, Big Soy Naturals for my um, media investment portfolio, um, along with several other podcasts. When I learned that Big Soy Naturals um, was about to go under, I purchased a majority stake in the uh, podcast because I can see it's just a matter of time before it uh, becomes a uh, smashing success. As uh, some of you may know, Virgil is my personal diversity and inclusion consultant, so I uh, also have a desire to support what they're doing, um, but I see this primarily as a uh, strategic investment. There's just a few small organizational changes that I uh, plan to make to promote growth. And today is our first ever episode under new management. As you may have heard um, from a public announcement by our new CEO, Big Soy Naturals has been brought under what Elon Musk is calling his uh, diverse media portfolio um, through SpaceX. Uh, I might have done my job as diversity and equity consultant a little bit too well. And he started to take notice of the the projects that I take part in 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 my off time. Um, He has threatened layoffs if we don't meet certain um, productivity quotas. So if everyone could make their way to the Big Soy Naturals Patreon, um, we're trying to turn Big Soy Naturals into a co-op and and take it back out from uh, <laughs> under under Elon Musk's leadership. But until then, we do have a producer now, so expect slightly increased audio quality. But when that's happening, know that it's coming at the expense of our rights as workers and podcasters. <laughs> and uh, in the in the interest, I guess, of like transparency, we are talking today more about some things that our our new boss is involved in but it doesn't seem yet like he has a, a an issue with that but we'll we'll see if you don't hear from us next week something something terrible has happened but until then <laughs> yeah, frankly I'm not sure if he's paying attention I don't I don't think he's paying attention he's a little busy right now yeah, he but, just keeps um, saying I love diverse matters. media um <laughs> mm-hmm. he's, he's been putting like just two thumbs up all the time mm-hmm. like this like i don't even finish what i'm gonna say he'll just go like yes and then give me the thumbs up and maybe a finger gun and then he just kind of walks off yeah um so i think that means we're good right and we're we're back i don't know send us an email do you think we're good <laughs> we're back with our our friend uh greg who right now is still a part of one of one of the last existing independent media uh, media outlets 
please give them. It's a real struggle <laughs> out there, everybody. Please give them support. Yeah. <laughs> we can only hope that they are not also acquired under Elon Musk's diverse media portfolio. I think they might be safe. Gorilla Radio Show is going to get acquired by Meta. So we're just going to be a Zuckerberg company. <laughs> oh, and then we, we You're going to lose your legs. We'll be able to work together anymore because we'll be on different sides. That'd be so sad. Um, we'll have to meet up in the metaverse. Yeah. So yeah. meet up in secret. If everyone remembers the last <laughs> episode, which I don't know when this one's coming out. Maybe you just finished listening to the last episode. Maybe you're driving in your car right now. You've had a couple beers. You're putting on the next one. <laughs> Maybe you're behind the wheel right now, you know? I don't know. They don't, As you should they're, be. They're only saying that they listen to us while they commute. But um, <laughs> if if you have, if it's been a little while since you listened to the, the previous episode, um, I just wanted to refresh everyone on the, the basic principle of effective altruism, which is when you do something that is maybe seemingly not so good in the immediate moment, um, because people don't understand exactly what your intention is. It doesn't fit into the um, accepted societal understanding of what it means to be altruistic, but the long-term effects that maybe no one else can see besides you and your genius, those effects are really, really good. And so it, in fact, becomes a better good deed than other other things. Um and I think to you know to refresh us all on how this works in practice, I thought we would we would go around, introduce ourselves, and say what sort of effective altruism we'd like to partake in if money were not an object, if power were not an object, of which Kendall and I right now have very little uh, as a result of <laughs> Put me in that boat too, <laughs> our SpaceX acquisition. And I guess Greg is a independent media journalist on the, on the front lines. Um, <laughs> probably, probably not too wealthy either, but if, if money were no object, I, I, and technology were no object, I would do some effective altruism by going back in time and smothering baby JK Rowling with a pillow. <laughs> and now this is exactly the kind of thing that people who aren't effective altruists just wouldn't understand. Cause I would be back in like the, I don't know, the 1930s or whenever. And I would be just preventing this baby from being able to breathe. And, and everyone around me would be like, oh, who is this? Um, uh, what were they calling biracial people back then? Like, it's not quadroon. Slurs. Well, yeah, but I think I got my own mulatto, perhaps. <laughs> I'm not going to say it. Say, okay. <laughs> well, they, you know, they would have called me a name and they would have been like, who is this insert word here? I don't know what it would be. Smothering this white baby. Why is this happening? Everyone would, would be aghast. <laughs> but what they wouldn't know is that I'm actually preventing Harry Potter and the methods of rationality from being written which would actually be doing untold good onto the world. And so the effective altruistic um, output of that really out, it outweighs the uh, alleged harm done of smothering a baby. And so that, I hope that that helps everyone understand this principle and um, maybe, maybe our guests can go next. What kind of effective altruism oh would you like to engage in? <laughs> um you know, with, with no constraints put upon you, you, maybe you're a billionaire like our new CEO. You know, I think, 
I think I'm just going to take a, a page out of your book and say, I'm going to go back in time and I'm going to smother Errol Musk. Ooh. Um, right before he gets to that emerald mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so that we don't ever have to deal with um, SpaceX or Tesla. Yeah. Um, or, or my favorite online posting website um, being under the control of that dork. So. What about you? I think that would be, that'd be effectively altruistic. Um, I think all of my current ideas would send me on a list somewhere because they involve like arson and murder. <laughs> but yes, these are like the kind the, of things like in the current that tense. society doesn't but understand. Th- so, they don't get that the, there's a positive output that's coming later. Yeah, I think the first like I just um, Google to make sure um, that I was right on this front. Um, but I think if I were to go back in time and do some effective, it doesn't altruism, all have to be time like travel. Like two of you. <laughs> I know, I know, but like, it seems like time travel is like the most effective form of, of altruism <laughs> at this point. Um, I don't know why they haven't come up with that yet. Um, like why they haven't invented time travel as part of their effective altruism, uh, method. It seems like they might come with uh, the singularity. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Um, I would kill Dwight D. Eisenhower so and all, prevent the birth we're of the all highway. People. Um, <laughs> yeah, killing yeah, Dwight I, D. Eisenhower. <laughs> yeah, I would prevent the birth seems... of the high, the highway. I don't want the highway. I don't. That's want okay, them. but I should. <laughs> I feel like there's better presidents. To yeah, kill. I think this is, this is exactly like when Caroline Ellison was like ranking this is all of the, the harm done in the world by like order of which is the worst and uh, like anti Asian discrimination in college acceptances came above like malaria and we were all like, well, that yeah, doesn't really seem exactly to make sense, doing. but you know, she See, probably has what- a math formula for it. Kendall's See, to me, what makes thing. sense is if is if I get rid of the highway, I get rid of all of the ways for any bad person after that to get anywhere. <laughs> so they're just stuck where they are. But but do you, but the knock on effects of that mean that there is no OJ Simpson chase in like, uh, 1994? That's true. No Fort no Fort and there's Bronco. There's going to be no fast. I think no that's, a, fast that's an acceptable series, sacrifice. Right? Or will, will, there, will there be fast? And I think we movies? could we could we. The, I think the Fast and Fur- I have faith in. The people who make Fast and Vin Furious Diesel movies and his production get... company One Race. They would have just yeah. said it on the audio. His Autobahn, production yeah. company yeah, I One think... Race. Thank you. <laughs> get it? Like One Race, the human race, but also like One Race, like One Race Track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have I have faith in One Race that they could get creative. I mean, in one of the more recent ones, I think it was Seven, they just drove cars between two buildings in Dubai. That's they didn't fast need eight. a road at all. Fast eight. That's okay. That's Fast and Furious Eight. Have you but seen that? That was creative. They got creative. They didn't need why. Where they were going, they didn't need. They're words. actually the best movies, so. um, and they're like the only um, blockbuster type movies to like have a majority uh, cast of people of color, which I think is pretty cool. Sometimes those people of color are like Tyrese Gibson, but. <laughs> You know, it's 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 a it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm-hmm. At the scratch off here on your bingo card, uh, Virgil talks about how the Fast and Furious franchise is uh, like better than Citizen Kane. It, it, well, okay, when Citizen Kane <laughs> is not that good, everybody's always all up its ass. It's fine. When has Citizen Kane even 
uttered the word NOS. I don't know what's it, what, like, do they drive cars in there? Fair point. Is Devin Aoki Did Orson Welles ever say Brazil? Wearing There's no tracks? fucking cool explosions in Citizen yeah. Kane. We need more Fast and Furious movies, and that, I think... I need Disney to remake Citizen hmm. Kane. <laughs> All right, so everyone, last episode, I promised a basilisk. This time, I'm here to deliver. Not only is there a basilisk, but everyone is fucking terrified of the basilisk. If there's one thing that you take away from today's episode, it's that everyone is terrified of the basilisk, but not me. So... Lots of effort has been made towards advancing artificial intelligence and achieving this so-called singularity because every single character from Silicon Valley wants to be immortal. That's like the thing that's underlying all of it. They might say that it's about other things, but the underlying motivation for every action can be understood better if we know that there is like a huge fear of death um, and just a sheer, like, stubborn unwillingness to accept that one day we will all die behind it. They're like, I don't know, like, maybe other people will die, but not me. Um, we brought up Ray Kurzweil and his theory of the singularity in our first episode, because from the popularity of that idea and Ray Kurzweil's um, work and his standing invitation to attend dinners that feature certain billionaires and sex traffickers and their colleagues um this idea that like highly advanced artificial intelligence is one day going to replace and improve faulty human functions like disability disease being racist besides caucasian um succumbing to mortality this this idea has been like widely adopted by the aforementioned billionaires, sex traffickers, and their colleagues. But not everyone or like not all of them is are in agreement with Ray Kurzweil's theory that um, AI will be like benevolent and interested in our well-being as like the human race. Like, the one, one race. Um, yeah, the, the one race. <laughs> the one race. In an, uh, in an interview with a uh, Scientific American, uh, Harry Potter fanfic author, uh, Eliza Yudkowsky, come on, we said it all the time last episode. Um, you said Yudkowsky, but I'm thinking it's Yudkowsky because I thought like the W sometimes is like a V. Well, you- no, I think this guy might be like a Pollock. Oh, okay. You okay. can also say his name however okay. you want. It's a- <laughs> you can it's say a- his it's name up wrong. To you. I've been saying Eliza. <laughs> yeah, it makes He's a Harry Potter fanfic author, Chicago. I can say. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah Eliezer Yudkowsky. Terrible place. Uh, he explained his divergence uh, with Kurt Weill and, uh, like this. He said, I think outcomes are not good by default. I think outcomes can be made good, but this will require hard work that key actors may not have immediate incentives to do. Telling people that we're on a default trajectory trajectory to great and wonderful times is false so um (laughs) i think that this man is simply not good this man is simply not um enamored with the beauty of god's creation no they're all so if they're afraid of dying i also like have noticed that every time any of these people default to like the passive voice um you know when they're like certain key actors aren't doing 
um, they're not they're not taking the best actions or so like tweeting. certain uh, <laughs> we, we need to put the experts in charge like they mean other people are doing things wrong but I do it right and that's like actually what's going on because like all of these like tech rationalist freaks have entered this rat race to be the one guy that brings about the singularity because none of them trust the other ones to bring about the singularity right. And they're all afraid of like going straight to hell when they die, uh, which they probably like, they probably will. <laughs> and so they like, oh, they yeah. fear death and, and, um, what an unfriendly AI might bring about more than anything. And so they treat this as the most existential threat. And it, it, it These- reminds me a lot of like, you know, when you talk to um, white people, um, maybe maybe people at mm. your local <laughs> meeting of an organization that has, maybe you're in a leftist coalition, you know, and you, you, oh, God, you bring up um, <laughs> land back. Like or or something like um, <laughs> some, something something akin to giving uh, colonized people um, like ownership of, of land that was stolen to them, and the response from those people goes like, um, "But what if they like kill all of us and like violently expel what if me uprising? like from from where my ancestors like violently colonized?" And it's like it's it's fascinating that you're. Um, like, like the, the the thing that you think that everyone is going to do is what I guess you maybe already want to do and what you have already done. And so you can't like fathom any kind of, uh, like society or like leadership or anything that doesn't involve just like the, the violent, like oppression and, uh, theft of like resources and land. And so you want to be the one that's doing it and not the one that it's getting done to. And that, is sort of how I see the like underlying fear of the singularity, which isn't even happening anyway, but like that's, that's what they're all afraid is going to happen. Cause they're like, when I build stuff with tech, I use it to be evil. And I believe that the singularity is coming. And so if I'm not the one that builds it, it's not going to give me a mortal life. It's going to like milk my blood for the, I don't know, for the immortal life yeah. of the I other mean, guy. So they want to be the one that does it first. Um, yeah, so a lot of the singularity stuff comes from, like, the idea in fiction that's been around for a really long time in sci-fi and what would be called speculative fiction in academic circles uh, of, like, a robot uprising, right? There's a lot of fiction, Isaac Asimov, like, three rules of robotics, all that crap. Um is about the idea of a robot uprising and scholars who study speculative fiction talk often about how um, like the idea of a robot uprising as a narrative tool in sci-fi is built on like primarily the fear of like a slave revolt. Right. But one of like the big flaws with a lot of like the robot uprising stuff is the idea that like these slaves are just kind of tailor built to be um, like subservient. And that it's like a def- like an, in bad speculative uh, fiction about a robot uprising, the idea is that the like the robot like is subservient as part of their programming and as part of their design, and then due to like a glitch or whatever, they are um, suddenly have free will and free thinking minds. And I don't know. I feel like 
if you're basing your entire theory of um, how the world is going to work in the future and how you're like basing your entire business, um, that's suspicious. That's a little weird. Well, they think that that they're being very rational, actually. These guys just keep reinventing fascism and then reinventing Mm -hmm. the resistance to fascism and putting it into their version of fascism. They they just, Mm -hmm. they do it over and over and over again, but they're like, but I'm not Hitler. Yeah. I'm going to do it better. Well, speaking of guys that aren't Hitler, um, there's (laughs) another... Uh, evil villain that we have to introduce into the the vortex that is Dumbledore's hole. Um, one of my lifelong enemies, and is actually the final boss villain of my life, um, Peter Thiel. Ugh. All right, do you want me to? Yeah, <laughs> go, go ahead. <clears throat> in a you New Yorker profile, <laughs> in, you did it. Great work. In a New Yorker profile titled "No Death, No Taxes." Here is how Peter Thiel's involvement is explained. Quote, Believing that computers with more brain power than human beings would revolutionize life faster than any other technology, Thiel became the largest contributor to the Singularity Institute, a think tank co-founded in 2000 by his friend... How are you guys saying it? Eliezer? I was saying Eliezer, but Eliezer makes more sense. Like Weezer. Weezer by Weezer Yudkowsky. The the Institute is preparing for the moment when a machine can make a smarter version of itself and aims to ensure that this intelligence ex, this intelligence explosion remains human-friendly. Um, another quote from that same profile, Thiel also gave $3.5 million to the Methuselah Foundation, whose goal is to reverse human aging. He became an early patron of the Seasteading Institute, a libertarian nonprofit group that was founded in 2008, by Patrick Friedman, a former Google engineer and Milton Friedman's grandson. Seasteading <laughs> refers to the founding of new city-states on floating platforms in international waters. Communities beyond the reach of laws and regulations, and um, I'm adding this for my own personal flair, as well as the age of consent for libertarians. Oh, yes. That is absolutely See, part I of hear... it. When you, think, when, you, when you hear about a libertarian that has their own <laughs> island where there are no rules... You, I'm not, I'm not making any <laughs> definitive claims, but I want you to think about what kind of rules uh, our our society has and which ones they don't seem to like as much. Yeah, um, just think of and, like, think of a little island with maybe a black book of names on it, you know. And that's yeah. only one island. Yeah, like, there's a, there's a lot of sea studying out here, and also, okay, we were talking about how. Um, Every institution of higher education in the West is a bastion of pure evil. <laughs> Milton Friedman's grandson um, still being allowed. Like, I guess I don't know if should you be punished for the crimes of your grandfather? Yes. Maybe. You yes. In his <laughs> case, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. He should not be allowed to be a Google engineer or have his own island. Like, he should not be starting nonprofit groups. Your grandfather's Milton Friedman. You need to become a like an electrician. If you want to not useful. be punished, if you want to not be do punished, anything, you need to go the Emperor Puyi route and be a street sweeper for the rest of your life. If you're going to do anything unuseful, you might as well just be a hermit. Go live. Or like be, in a shack. be like a beat poet. That would be fine. Yeah. Um, and so I just like I wanted to point out these like 
different institutions that he's giving funding to, because I think that you can see that the like um, funding and support of the Singularity Institute, which um, has since been renamed to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, is very much related to this like desire to bring about immortality and like stave off disease and aging. Um, and it is something that is inside each of the Silicon Valley losers that like fear <laughs> death and, and uh, also believe that they're like the only ones that can do the, the singularity and immortality, right? Probably because they will um, fuck up everyone else's day, including all of mm. their colleagues when, when or not when. Because it's not going to fucking happen. There is no. no singularity. And I want that to be very clear also. This shit's not, it's yeah. not, it's not <laughs> this happening. This shit's not real. <laughs> but if you just say definitively, this shit stinks. Like, this it's, is It nothing. is not happening. But even This is if shit it, is about as real as Scientology. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, seasteading reminds me of like the Sea Org. Like that, <laughs> that like Navy that is in like Scientology where they signed like a, a 20,000 year contract or something where they're like, you're with us until you, like even after death. They're, they're something the like real that. Satanists. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just all of these guys are like megalomaniac narcissists who know that the moment that they die, they're going straight to hell, which I don't even believe in. But that's where they are going. Like that's that's what happens to them. I'll believe it for you. Um. So, um, in 2009, Peter Thiel himself posted an essay. The Education of a Libertarian. On the, on, and I'm just going to give you a series of horrible things. So on the Cato Institute's website, sounding even more like an, is it Ayn Rand? Is that how it you is say Ayn it? Rand. Yeah, Ayn, Ayn, Ayn Rand. A, an Ayn Rand scholarship. That's uh, part of how I paid for college. I wrote a really oh, good essay right. about the works of Ayn Rand. And they gave <laughs> In me. In feud, I'm going to bring that up. They, it's cancelable. They gave me $10,000. And I used that to go to the Evergreen State College, everyone. The only, <laughs> the only institution of higher education that is not evil. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Greg. What, they, did, what did he say? So, sounding even more like an Ayn Rand hero than usual, he wrote, quote, In our time, the great task for libertarians is to find an escape from politics in all its forms from the totalitarian and fundamentalist catastrophes to the unthinking demos that guides the so that guides so-called social democracy we are in a deadly race between politics and technology the fate of our world may depend on the effort of a single person peter thiel who builds <laughs> or propagates the machinery of freedom that makes the world safe for capitalism. See, again, anytime any of them Way are like, the fate like... of the world <laughs> may depend on a single person. We need to be afraid of, like, other act. It, they mean This is I like the speech from a shitty DC movie. I was gonna say, <laughs> this, is like, this is like a Metal Gear Rising villain <laughs> talking about, like, <laughs> like this is like the... This is like Metal Gear Rising. <laughs> the, pre- the president is the villain, and he gets like huge Lex Luthor ass like, speech. He says something like very close to this, where he's just like, it, like it is between metal and like the U.S. It's between like, metal and gear, snake. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The other thing that I want to point out is that, like, despite you know, every time that you read anything about Peter Thiel, even the stuff that's critical about him, this is something that I find really frustrating. I guess about the the way that people write about these like tech CEOs and and overlords is that they cede to the 
premise that he is really smart, but we're, you Mm. know, so something here that I, I noticed is when he was like, the great task is to find an escape from politics in all forms, but he uses the word libertarians. Libertarians need to be escaping politics. Sir, you are, you are the politics. Um, but it, it is, <laughs> it is very like a, like a guy that is, um, calling himself apolitical. And then he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like politics are just like sports. Like there's a bad team and a good team and you got to root for the winner. And I don't want to be involved in any of that. And like, that but is just not like that a libertarians are like. Do you really think that libertarians are like escaping politics by like arguing that the age of consent should be lowered uh, yeah, or that like they you should need a license to drive? Because they think that that politics means rules. They think so. I don't. They think politics means rules, so they think that they're outside of it. But as Althusser says, there is no such thing as outside of ideology except for. The immortal science of Marxism, Leninism. Exactly. Um, I, I also, truly. Oh, go ahead. I, I I think that the American libertarian movement is just a CIA op gone horribly wrong. I, I can't. They're not real. Like, they're have you not, seen these no. fucking people like speak out loud in public? They they sound like crazy people. Is this where is this where I insert the fucking iconic clip from the libertarian debate? It might be. It might be. Drive. You're not inserting any clips anymore because that power oh, was taken it's away not your from job us. Anymore. Yeah. Um, no, also, I just want to like, say anytime you see the word totalitarian, that's coming from someone that does not know what they're talking about, like totalitarian, <laughs> authoritarian, it's, you know, it's giving nothing. Aryan. It's just, well, Aryan is a that's a that's a word that <laughs> that's when a thing. people when they're using that, they definitely do mean something. But totalitarian is like when someone is trying to um, hold up a book that says, like, Hitler was really bad. And then another book that's like, but so was Stalin. Maybe just as bad in, mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, and that's it, that's what that means. It's it's so fucking... And libertarians piss me off so much. And the only, like, good analogy <laughs> I have for it is, like, my mother used to say that Ron Paul, All famous libertarian... My mother used to say that Ron Paul looks like the kind of guy who would be selling like fried chicken in a shack on the side of the highway. And and if we like, lived in a just world that was like governed correctly, he probably would be, and I bet he'd be happier doing he it. Would be. But I promise, I promised you a basilisk, and this is how we get to the basilisk. So <laughs> on the on the less wrong form, which was started by our one and only Eliezer Yudkowsky, there is a user by the name of Roko who posted a little thought experiment about artificial intelligence singularity in the context of effective altruism. And the basilisk actually is a sequel and a solution to a problem that he also posed um, in a post titled The Altruist Burdens, uh, or sorry, The Altruist Burden, which is not a cool, not a cool title. Um, but <laughs> this is uh, this is the problem that he imagines. And I'm going to pass it off to Kenny. And we're going to do the thing yeah. that we did last time that was really fun for me, where I hit the buzzer every time that he says something <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very fun. All right. Here we go. This is... This is Roko's Basilisk. Are you ready, Pay Pigs and Prayer Warriors? Yeah, Here verbatim. I didn't change anything to make him sound dumber. If you think yeah. he sounds dumb, yeah, this is, that was this is it. This is it. This is what all of them are quivering in their boots mm-hmm. over. Um, the reason that we live in good times <laughs> is that... <laughs> 
is that markets give people a selfish incentive <laughs> to seek to perform <laughs> to seek to perform actions that maximize total utility across all humans <laughs> in the relevant economy. The relevant economy. Namely, they get paid for their efforts. <laughs> Without this incentive, people would gravitate towards choosing actions that maximize their own individual utility. <laughs> <laughs> Finding local optima, optima, yeah, optima, that um, are not globally optimal. Ugh, okay. Capitalism makes us all into efficient little utilitarians, <laughs> which we all, which we all benefit enormously from. <laughs> 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 the pro and then goes just right here just left without the <laughs> the problem with charity and especially efficient charity is that the incentives for people to contribute to it are all messed up because we don't have something analogous to the financial systems for charity to channel incentives for efficient production of utility back to the producer for everyone who struggles <laughs> with understanding the writing of someone who like really could have, they could have gone back to English class. They could have used an editor. Instead, they're spending their time on forums writing about basilisks. What this is saying is that like the model of behavior that's required for true effective altruism, like goes against what is going to be like self-serving because maybe if I, if I do a nice thing for my, my friend, Greg, I give Greg um, five dollars when I go to www.patreon.com slash gorilla radio show. I've done, some, done something <laughs> nice. I've done something altruistic, even out yeah. of the goodness of my heart. And it, it makes Greg so happy that, um, I'm not sure you, but you do something nice for me in return, perhaps. And now maybe, I, maybe I go to patreon.com slash big soy naturals and I, yeah, I give you guys five dollars. Gives us a net zero, but it net also zero. that's effective <laughs> that altruism. Passing the same five dollar bill back. That's effective but, altruism, folks. <laughs> but it's, this this behavior, I guess, is self serving in that like there is an immediate benefit to me for this like good action that I take, which incentivizes me to want to take more good actions. But perhaps the best use of my five dollars is not to give it to my friend Greg um, and support independent journalism, but instead to give it to maybe like an organization that's trying to figure out how to bring about the singularity. But when I tell everyone that I've donated like 30% of my income to the Singularity Institute and that I'm now broke, everyone's like, I will stop doing that. And I'm like, you don't understand, like you don't understand because there's no like, um, immediate benefit to this action. And so with all of these premises being true, I guess the other one is that he is claiming, I guess we don't know Roku's pronouns, but I feel like Roku's Roku's a man. Um he's he's based on the the breakdown we had in the last yeah. episode of like the the gender of well, yeah. based based um, on the fact that this post exists. Um <laughs> I feel like like this is a man he's also saying that like there's nothing like the market which uh, inherently, without any sort of mm, uh, irrational motives, like rewards actions that make sense. Because if you have a good idea as an entrepreneur, like obviously the market's going to reward that by making you a ton of money. And so it doesn't matter if it like 
doesn't make sense to people around you because if you have a good idea, the market's simply going to reward it. But altruism doesn't exist in that um, same same realm. And so he is putting together the problem, how can you incentivize individuals to become effective altruists when there's no clear benefit? And uh, in fact, as the title claims, there is a burden. And maybe now we're asking the question, we're all asking it. We're at home. We're in our cars. We've had several beers. <laughs> You've had um, at least five or and, six beers. <laughs> and we're going, okay, but what is what is the burden? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the burden is they've never picked up a copy of Capital and solved the yeah. problem. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. You know, I think when I get a DUI, um, that's just the market telling me that I'm making the most effective choice. I think it's effectively, <laughs> my it's, I think it's effectively altruistic of me to mm-hmm. have a couple beers and drive home because now I don't have to uh, make an Uber driver who is already underpaid and yeah. overworked have to come pick me up and talk yeah, to me for 20 minutes. That's you know? true. That is effective. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's, what's the burden? Yeah. Uh, Let's hear it. <laughs> yeah. He, so Roko's continuing to explain, right? He says, one effect of giving away lots of your money and effort to seriously efficient charity is that you create the counterpoint public choice problem to the special interest problem in politics. None of these people know how to Bang. formulate a sentence. None of these people know how to formulate a goddamn sentence. It's what the so fuck hard. was this? It's so hard for them what, to just to just write a sentence that has like a subject uh, and a and a verb. It's it's hard. They don't know how to do it. I okay. I'm moving on. <laughs> that sentence really like fucking. It's okay. It, it's alright. It was like I. It's it's like I'm a newborn. And I'm gonna translate it into into English when we're done. <laughs> okay. You harm a concentrated interest. Parentheses. Friends. Potential partners. <laughs> children. Mm. These people don't fuck. Potential. Yeah. Potential partners. Potential children. In order. <laughs> In order to reward a diffuse interest, parentheses, helping each of billions of people by a tiny amount, anyone involved in futurism, singularitarianism, mm. singularitarianism? See, you know how cool communism sounds? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice and short. It's to the fucking point. Mm-hmm. Communism. There you go. Done. Not singularitarianism. Terrible. Et cetera. <laughs> A word has should probably not have been that many syllables in it. Uh, no. <laughs> no. We made that fucking word want, up. If you want to conti- if you want to sell me on your idea, make the like overall concept word not something that I have to choke on. 4 to 5 when I'm, syllables I'm explaining at most. it to another wo- to a woman at a party mm-hmm. that I'm trying to impress. Um okay, etc. has probably been on the sharp end of this public choice problem. Presumably Anyone in the West who has donated a socially optimal amount of money to charity would also be on the sharp end. Parentheses, though I know of no cases of this, so we have no examples. (laughs) Anyway, this is the altruist's burden. Okay, so I want to say that if you're, if you're like, um, if you've, if you've written something that you want me to read and you want me to agree that the problem that you are presenting is real. You should not put in your presentation of the problem that you know of no examples of this idea <laughs> that you have come up with. You're like, wouldn't this be, this is such a burden, it would be so bad. 
but I have uh, no examples. I don't know. Like, it's like, <laughs> come on. I thought you were supposed to be the rationalist. The, bur- the burden, the ultra. <laughs> so maybe the true altruist burden is the fact that I cannot come up with any examples for my burden. This shit has um, the same plot depth of Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's their mother, so. Um, first off, I have personal experience in this area. Oh, so now you have an example. Not me. Already not personal. But someone. <laughs> I have a personal example. I have a personal example, but not me. Let's say, this is this is just my friend. But again, these people they don't they don't know. They don't. This know is my write. friend. She goes to school in Canada. You don't know her. They don't know how to write. They don't know how to put Let's together just say my a sentence. Friend. Let's just say my friend tried to be effectively altruistic and had five or six beers before getting their car, and then they ran over something, and they're not sure if it's a, if it's an animal or a person. But what they, they ran they, over it was so dark, and they don't. They and, ran yeah, over they don't baby J.K. Rowling, who had been brought back in time by an effective <laughs> altruist time traveler. So when the cop stops them and says, "Why did you run over this baby?" You say, "Actually, I did something altruistic, effectively." Because you prevented Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. And then give you the Ayn Rand the and the person who hit them fade from existence. <laughs> uh, and they suddenly give you the key to the city and you're boy mayor now. But I, I, need, you to, I need you to finish this because it gets so good. It, yeah, it gets yeah, amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> I have personal experience in this area. Not me, but someone vitally important in the existential risks movement has been put under pressure by their partner to participate less in existential risk so that their relationship would benefit. Okay, I gotta interrupt because you know what this is. I like I was I was puzzling I was puzzling over what this was. And what it is is that someone, some man, is giving away his like life savings and income to like the singularity fund. And his like wife is like, don't do that. I I don't want you to do that. And then he's like, babe, you do not understand that I am vitally important in the existential risks movement. Um, I, that's, it is I know what that is. altruistic for me to spend all of our money on board apes. It's just important, okay? And his wife is like, you know what? I want an open marriage. I, uh, <laughs> I, have, per- I have personal experience in this area. Not me, but I once met a CEO of a... Um, cryptocurrency company that does currently exist and what he told me um that when he started his his cryptocurrency company that he claimed was going to disrupt poverty was that he um got divorced from his wife because he doesn't want to be with a woman that doesn't believe in him and what he meant by that was that he without telling her put all of his savings um and income Uh, And also like took a second mortgage on their house and put it all into Bitcoin. And when she found out she was upset and he was like, I just can't be with a person that doesn't believe in what I'm doing. So that's how I know (laughs) that that's that that's what this kind of thing is, because that's that's how they would frame it. Um, Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So then after he talks about this person that is not him, Roko says, of course, I cannot give out details, and please don't ask for them mm-hmm. or try to make guesses. I personally have suffered, as have many, from low-level punishment 
from and worsening of mm. relationships with my family and social pressure from friends being perceived as weird. Aww. I swear to God, dude, if you don't fucking pick <laughs> up a book on fucking vocab, get hooked on phonics, and write a better sentence, I'm going insane. All right. <laughs> I have also become more weird. <laughs> <laughs> no That's shit. The burden. <laughs> the burden is being a little. The burden of a little freaky little gremlin man. I'm a little, little gross little guy. <laughs> and everyone spending so one's freaky. time, <laughs> spending one time one's time optimally for social status and personal growth is not at all like spending one's time in a way so as to reduce ex- existential risks. Furthermore. Thinking that the world is in grave danger, but only you and a select group of people understand, makes you feel like you are in a cult. Huh? I wonder. I wonder if maybe you should trust that feeling. Uh. <laughs> to end it, you are in a. It makes you feel like you're in a cult due to the huge cognitive dissonance it induces. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something. I'm going to say something right okay, now. Okay. To the to the middle schoolers who are listening to this episode, if you feel if you feel convinced that the world is ending and you feel so sure of it, but everyone around you is like, no, that's not. It's not going to happen. You should tr- you should trust that you have gotten it wrong. Um, I promise that there will n- never be a time where you are the only person that is right about something like the world the coming world to ending. a literal <laughs> end. There will you definitely know. be other people who ever, who kind of like make that like, realization as well. I, <laughs> do you remember those like po- like like whenever like it, whenever you were in middle school, like if like you're our, our age, it would have been like. Like our listeners, but if you're our age, you would have been like in like you would have been on like Facebook being like like let's let's say it's me and I'm like Kenny is sad but doesn't want to talk about it. Is weird. And then someone DMs me and is like, What are you sad about? And I'm like, Oh, I said I didn't want to talk about it. Oh well you see there's this basilisk. <laughs> <laughs> also like you and I'm not sure know. if she like likes me or not. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, that I, I, spending I, one's time socially optimal, <laughs> like you're spending your time optimally, they mean like I'm sitting on forums and I'm typing. First off, posts, like- first off, every one of those, every one of these people was a briefcase kid. All right, and secondarily, <laughs> secondarily, I'm gonna say this right now. I'm bald. I shaved my head out of uh-huh. pride. Because mm-hmm. I'm confident, yeah, you wouldn't know that viewers. I'm confident to in myself. Now, okay, format. you know what this is? This is a forum full of guys who are going bald and refuse to accept it. This Absolutely. is just guys that, who are like, no, no. Their hairline. That's the is, burden. Their hairline has graduated. Yeah. The burden <laughs> the is burden. the burden is is that if they're standing in a room with a bright light, and I understand this feeling, everybody can see the top of your head, right? Mm-hmm. Right yeah, through your you fucking wispy, right through your wispy <laughs> ass hair. Okay. So what I'm telling you is my advice to all of you morons reading Roko's Basilisk in a serious manner. Buy that razor, man. Shave your head. Shave your head. Yeah. It's so much yeah. cooler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so this so this is the altruist burden. You're so you're so good at being amazing and smart and perfect and like knowing you're gonna save the world, that everyone thinks you're a freak. Maybe the problem is just other consequently. <laughs> consequently, you know, have you? <laughs> I think you would you'd you'd relate to some people, maybe in like Jonestown, or some people in like 
Scientology. Yeah, they no feel, you know, I think it. I think you could feel I think you could be effectively altruistic to some other people who could relate to your your burden you know that maybe one day the world is going to end and you're the only people who can save it. I'd like to know what how many effective altruists are Mormons because a lot of this just seems like Mormon shit. Well, I do think that many of the people in the new atheist movement, which like the rationalist movement sprung out of, uh, were former like evangelicals because you don't really like pick mm-hmm. up this sort of rabid fervor for convincing everyone that you're right about there being no God unless you were like originally doing the same thing or like around people doing the same thing about there being a God because otherwise you're kind of just like, you know, or you're there just being some kind out. of like great you have other things to Old talk Testament. About. There's also just this attitude with like the singularity that it's almost like a great Old Testament punishment. We're getting with, like, there. Computers. Yeah. Hold on to that. <laughs> so this yeah. is the setup. This is the setup for the basilisk. The altruist has a burden. How do we, how do we like um, remove that burden from the altruist shoulders? Yeah. Much like Atlas holding up the world. Um, how do we, how do we like lighten the load? And I think that again we need to quote the post directly because. We we are lose. We need to open up the schools. Like we need to teach people actually how to think logically because it's not happening. We need to teach people how to put a sentence together using words in an order that conveys meaning. Um, <laughs> but I I think it is important to summarize or to to first share the basilisk in its own words, and we will link the post in the description. For anyone interested in reading the whole thing themselves and feeling better about their writing skills, I, if you are in middle school and you're, if you're getting C's at least in your classes, you're probably already a better writer than Rocco. Than these fucking guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, the title of of this part of his post is "Solutions to the Altruist's Burden: The Quantum Billionaire Trick." Hmm. This sounds like a fucking Rick and I'm Morty think- episode, Dad. I'm thinking, yeah. like, I'm thinking Quantum Leap. I'm thinking the the show Quantum Leap. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> there is the ominous possibility that if a positive singularity does occur, the resultant singleton. <laughs> come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> the resultant singleton. Okay may have pre-committed to punish all potential donors who knew about existential risks, but who didn't give 100% of their disposable incomes to X-risk motivation. You know how, like, if you didn't give, like, 100% of your income to L. Ron Hubbard, you're not going to, like, ascend. Or be Do they think the supercomputer will be able to read your mind? Well, so <laughs> you, we're going we're to get there. <laughs> you're not going to go singular if you don't give 100% of your income. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> this would act as an incentive to get people to donate more to reducing existential risk and thereby increase the chances of positive singularity. So, a post-singularity world may be a world of fun and <laughs> and plenty for the people who are currently ignoring the problem, whilst it being a living hell for a significant fraction of current existential risk u- reducers parentheses say the least generous half you could take this possibility into account and give even more to x risk in an effort to avoid being punished but of course if you're thinking like that then the cev singleton is even more likely to want to punish you 
nasty. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, this would be unjust. But it's the kind of unjust thing that is. So, so How, I'm going to translate this because I feel like <laughs> is the kind this, of if this was in the Fast and Furious, if this was a scene in the Fast and Furious, this would have been ludicrous giving an explanation about how like the computer works, and then someone would have gone like, "But, but, but in English, please." In English, and so English in English, English, in English, what if there was a singularity, and what if the singularity? was an effective altruist that did a trolley problem on you. Um, <laughs> motherfuckers invented their... It, first off, they have a made-up system of fucking <laughs> donating to Shriners Hospital for Children. And then on top of that, they've created a new problem for themselves. And then they, they made and up the singularity. The, the worst part is, is that the solution that they create for the problem that they made up still kills half of them. Like, <laughs> so, um, Eliezer Yudkowsky disagreed with some of the finer points of this post, which is that, like, he didn't understand how Roku didn't provide reasoning for why the singularity would have motive to blackmail potential donors, um, and that it would, like, need to have put into its computation the benefits of blackmailing versus non-blackmailing, and that one of those options would need to come out ahead in rationalist terms. And he wrote in all caps... Compl- like complaining about the post because the basilisk was giving less wrong users nightmares that people complained to him that the post made them stay up all night in fear of seeing the basilisk Literally, they, when they close their eyes they, to go to they sleep. Woke up, they woke up in their little Lightning McQueen race car bed. And this guy had a nightmare this guy like they were afraid of being strapped to the train tracks in the trolley problem and and the singularity pulling pulling the lever to kill them so i have greg who i think has the best angry voice uh doing the eliezer yudkowski post um right Listen to me very closely, you idiot. You do not think in sufficient detail about super intelligences considering whether or not to blackmail you. That is the only possible thing which gives them a motive to follow through on the blackmail. You have to be really clever to come up with a genuinely dangerous thought. I am disheartened that people can be clever enough to do that and not clever enough to do the obvious thing and keep their idiot mouths shut about it. Because it is much more important to sound intelligent when talking to your friends. This post was all caps stupid. And then they banned discussion of the Basilisk for five years because it made everyone so scared. He literally went, this guy bothering you, babe. <laughs> Discord mod pulled up. He's He's like, don't worry, kitten. I've got this. (laughs) Pushes you out of the way. Stands up. Holds a knife down. (laughs) Really doing like the the, like ellipses fucking like. You also do not need to be clever to come up with a dangerous thought, by the way. No, these people are so fucking dumb. Yeah. Like this is an argument between two dummies. Um, yeah, I can come up with a spooky thought every fucking day. Every, if I want every to. five mm-hmm. minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm. like who was phone? Yeah, Logan Paul imagines where you. <laughs> Did you know that SpongeBob like a whole blog SpongeBob called SpongeBob Logan Paul imagines about all the different mental illnesses, and that SpongeBob's actually dead. Yeah. Isn't that spooky? Did you know Winnie the Pooh <laughs> is about all the different mental illnesses, and like they, they represent the pills spooky. that you take? To I'm cure gonna those have illnesses. nightmares tonight. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Did you know that all the Rugrats are dead in Rugrats? Mm, wow. Why is every children's cartoon about all the mental illnesses of a dead character? <laughs> I'm going to have nightmares tonight. I really hope someone comes to defend me on a forum. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Eliezer's disagreement here is like just splitting hairs because he like he he very he's like really committed to his fear of like unfriendly ai and the idea of a robot uprising and has written an in AI detail uprising. about it okay yeah oh an ai a uprising. robot uprising an, would just be an irobot style uprising yeah. yeah 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 but with like computers um <laughs> he's written in detail about this ai uprising um influencing all the worst people to believe as he does so in his book uh, rationality from AI to zombies, which just uh, it sounds like one of those books from like 2008 when uh, The Walking Dead was popular, where they just made like mm -hmm. Pride and Prejudice and zombies, you know, like the, just those like hokey little books. Anyway, he lays out this fear and his extremely rational reasoning for it. So because I love all of you and you are all my friends, I read his fucking book. Um, Everyone say thank I you, Virgil. To, I wanted to understand it. And I genuinely have, I had a very hard time trying to figure out how to summarize it without calling him an idiot and just like pointing out how ridiculous each of his thoughts are. Because I do, I unlike some people, um, who have been named and quoted in this episode so far, I actually am invested in like trying to make a good argument. And I think that like part of doing that is to first like present the idea that the other person is making as well as they might before you tell them how dumb it is so that they can't <laughs> like claim that you misrepresented them or took it out of context. But it is, it's actually like impossible for me to phrase any of these ideas in a way that sounds reasonable. So I turned to uh, Machine Intelligence Research Institute contributor and Smith College professor, yet again, every institution <laughs> of higher education in the West besides the Evergreen State College, evil, um, James D. Miller, who is the author of some other bad book titles, Singularity Rising and Game Theory at Work, um, to present Eliezer's thoughts in a more uh, friendly, charitable light. So this is his summary of what Eliezer claims in his book. And so the first is that like Eliezer wants to save humanity from being destroyed by an unfriendly artificial super intelligence. We all know this. And he thinks that if we, if for some reason our high technology economy doesn't crash, that someone is going to create a super intelligence computing system that is significantly smarter than every person who has ever existed. And that this program um, being more capable than any human is going to quickly upgrade its own intelligence, becoming even more and then exponentially smarter than all of us. And this artificial intelligence will be able to do what it wishes with the world. Around here is when I was like, citation needed, please, but he didn't bother with any of those things. And um, Eliezer's organization, um, which was once called the Singularity Institute, is now called the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, wants to create the friendly artificial superintelligence AI that will save us by like preempting the existence of the unfriendly AI that will absolutely for real come into fruition if uh, we don't do something about it first. And maybe 
while that's happening, it can also create a utopia for us. Maybe the AI will be our benevolent dictator, um, coincidentally programmed by the whims and beliefs of Yudkowsky, um, because he strongly believes that any super intelligence not specifically designed to be friendly towards mankind will destroy us, which again, I think is like the, the belief that I was pointing to about how people um, or certain people worry about things like land back, where it's like, if something isn't explicitly friendly towards you, you assume malintent because you are projecting your own like exploitative impulses onto others. But the example that he gives is like, what if the computer superintelligence could rearrange the molecules on earth any way it wished? I think that from what I know about physics, we probably don't need to worry about that. But what if, and if, if that were the case, only a minuscule percentage of such arrangements would be consistent with human life or anything that we valued. Um, and so if the superintelligence had a randomly selected goal, we would almost certainly lose everything because it would just rearrange our, all of our molecules. And the superintelligence might be merely indifferent to our fate. And so it might kill us to use the atoms in our bodies to fill whatever goals it did have. So a quote from the book is when Yudkowsky says, the AI does not love you or hate you, but you are made up of atoms which it can use for something else. And so unless the superintelligence shares or the superintelligence shares our values, it will almost certainly destroy everything that we care about. And Yudkowsky doesn't think that we can count on the superintelligence, um, like sharing our values just because it is intelligent, drawing on evolutionary psychology, not a real science. Yudkowsky explains how human values accidentally arose because of evolutionary selection pressures. And so any um, artificial superintelligence would come up with the same value of something like pi, which is like not disputed as we do, but there's no reason that it would share our values unless we create it to do so. And so that is where this fear comes from. They're so scared. You, they are very then scared. you can unplug it. I, you, well, we're gonna we're gonna get to that too. Um, <laughs> and I just I don't I don't understand. Like, if let's say I entertain the idea of a super intelligence, mm-hmm. which is not like, happening. Uprising. This is no. the other thing right? that ever like not it is, occurring. It is, it is yeah, not, not happening. ever happening. But let's let's like again. We, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. But let's say I entertain this idea at all in any respect. Um, why would it not sh- like? It will, he said it will almost certainly destroy everything we care about. What's to say that, like, some of the things that we care about or have created are not useful to the superintelligence that we have also, at least of its origin, created? Like, why would some of those things so, be unbeneficial to it? For those of us, you know, in, in uh, logic and rationality circles... That's what we would call jumping to fucking conclusions. He goes, <laughs> if the AI doesn't share our values, naturally it would destroy everything. They, like, yeah. They're do doing it how they think. This is, because this is the way that they think. Yeah. Like, they think in these terms because to them, like the plunder and rape of like the Amazon yeah. rainforest to them is totally okay and logical because at the end of it, they get to extract like an ounce of gold for every... 10,000 trees they cut down. It's the key fear that rises from a lot of the speculative fiction about, like, a a computer uprising, right? The idea that something would share the same, like, 
end goal as you to destroy everything that someone now, else we, loves and cares about. If there were a super intelligence, which would not be that intelligent, that um, emulated the uh, mindset and thought patterns of Elon Musk, and it was in charge of everything, would it destroy the planet? Yeah, probably. But th- like, <laughs> it's but just, it's why, just not, why would it be modeled? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, like at the turn of the century in the 1900s, the New York Times, I'll have to find it so we can link it, like published a prediction of like all the things that they think were going to happen in the um, the coming century. And one of them was like, now that cars are becoming more ubiquitous, the horse will become extinct. And so it is just like this, like colonizer, like settler mindset of um, only seeing things that provide immediate personal value as something worth keeping. And then like projecting that um, belief that they haven't examined in themselves onto a fear of a thing that will never happen. But who is afraid of the, the basilisk? And the answer is literally Every single person that is in charge of the technology that we use and the way that we live our lives. Everyone who is a CEO of a Fortune 500 company is terrified that once the AI gains sentience, it will pass judgment on them because they also know they are bad people. That is why they're all squabbling for power because they they think that this is going to happen if they're the one that doesn't have it. Kenny, can you... um? Can you tell us who's who's afraid of the basilisk? I can. So, um, this is a Vanity Fair article from twenty six. There is a Vanity Fair article, rather, from uh, twenty sixteen, titled "Silicon Valley Questions the Meaning of Life." Um, this is where Sam Altman, the president of Y Combinator, which is the Valley, uh, the Silicon Valley's like top startup accelerator, uh, shares that he believes humanity is on the brink. Uh, the brink of reaching singularity. Yeah, we're almost there. Um, yeah, almost there. We're we're getting close. Um, and then from Bill Gates in a 2015 Reddit AMA, um, he said, "I am in the camp that is concerned about superintelligence." Gates said in response to a question about the existential threat posed by AI. First, the machines will do a lot of jobs for us and not be super intelligent. That should be positive if we manage it well. A few decades after that, though, the intelligence is strong enough to be a concern. Yeah, the intelligence has been doing push-ups. It's been (laughs) snorting creatine. The intelligence is on trend. The intelligence is in the gym doing gear. Getting as strong as possible. It's climbing up the steps of the Museum of uh, Mm -hmm. Philadelphia. It's taking nootropics. Mm -hmm. It's going fucking wild. Um And then from a 2019 Vox podcast interview uh, titled, He co-founded Skype. Now he's spending his fortune on stopping dangerous AI. Skype founder Jan Tallon, uh, one of the top 10 donators of the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, reveals that he's also afraid of the basilisk. He has donated more than $600,000 to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute, a prominent organization working on AI alignment parentheses, that is aligning the interests of an AI with the interests of human society, and more than $310,000 to the Future Humanity Institute at Oxford, which works on similar subjects. 
He's also co-founded two new organizations studying AI and other extinction threats, the Center for the Study of Existential Risk at Cambridge and the Future of Life Institute. Um, This is the interviewer asking a question. He said, um, how did you become interested in existential threat of AI? And then uh, Jan says, 10 years ago, there was this lawsuit between eBay and the other involved parties in Skype, including the founders and co-founders of Skype. So around that time, I started looking for new things to do. And then I stumbled on Eliezer Yudowski's writings on the internet and that I found really compelling. This is from the, this is an editor's note. Uh, Yudowski is an autodidact. They need to, they need to stop Except They can't, they, they gotta, can't reproduce that. He's not, it's not a real thing. <laughs> it's not real. Sorry. It, it means nothing. It's literally just the bio they write for themselves. And they're like, hmm, okay, sounds good. You can't say that you taught yourself. It's just not, you yeah. Shut up. That's not true. You were homeschooled. You, you can't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were homeschooled and now you're fucking weird. Anyway, uh, Yudowski is an autodidact who writes widely on AI and related topics and authored the popular Harry Potter fanfic, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, <sighs> which reflects many of Yudowski's somewhat eccentric views on rationality and science. I will say, I don't like that they mentioned autodidact, but I do love that they're kind of being a little snippy. They're calling him like, a crank wrote, just a little. Yeah, he said he's, he's, a, he's a crank writer. and a nerd. Like, <laughs> they're like, he's kind of a dork. He's somewhat eccentric, which means dork. Big dorkus. Um, Pocket when I protector this from energy. Jan- <laughs> this is from Jan again. When I discovered him, he had written about a thousand essays. And before I discovered that he can write faster than I can read, I had already planned and written a software to scrape everything that he had written and format it for easier That's reading. That's not how you so, read. You know, these guys don't read. That's not how they you just, read. They're like, I'm going instead to, of, instead of just bothering to read everything, I'm going to create another algorithm these, to scrape it and put, and put it in like they read. notes Okay, okay, here, I'll <laughs> give everybody a little insider insider trading here because i deal with people like this all the time at my job so this is like your average software engineer we use this program called jira it make you make tickets in it to fix engineering problems and jira tickets are essentially bulleted lists with big highlighted keywords oh, inside so and this motherfucker sad. essentially downloaded all of this more this dork ass motherfuckers writings into a jira ticket so he could read it and as you go through a Jira ticket, there's little bubbles next to you. Click off and it'll disappear because you've oh, completed the task. Sad. He's it's doing like a task list. Oh. Hooked on phonics for adults. Which, you know, I would respect <laughs> if they were actually using hooked on phonics to learn how to read. I would say good for you because it would help That them. seems like more effort than yeah. reading. But oh, all right. Okay. And then so he, he goes on. He goes, so I spent about a year just reading his stuff in Jira. Um <laughs> Reading his essays about rationality, about human psychology, about science, and about AI, and why we need to put effort into making sure that the long-term future is going to be good. So like, I want to, I want to say, asking. Oh, well, go ahead. Uh, like go ahead. this, the guy who invented Skype, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I like. I would go out on a limb here say, without this, he's probably pretty smart. He did write a video conferencing software, like the first one. Good for him. What the fuck? So, How do these okay, people? So there's this song. There's this song called "All Star" by Smash Mouth, and it has an uh, an an axiom that I think has rung really true in my life, and maybe will resonate with others as well. Which is that your brain gets smart 
but your head gets dumb. And there are many such cases. So Greg already asked this question. This is something I'd been asking myself for a while when I was trying to understand why they were all so fucking afraid of the singularity. Cause it's like, what if we just fucking unplugged the computers? Like what, like, why can't we do that? And why do none of the solutions to unfriendly AI involve just unplugging the computers? Like, why do you have to donate $600,000 to, to make a friendly AI to get there first? And so there's a different Vox article from 2020 by Kelsey Piper, who has since donated um, around $35,000 to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute called The Threat for Taking AI Seriously as a Threat to Humanity that explains why this isn't possible. And I'm going to pass it to Greg because I think it will make you the most mad to have (laughs) to share this reasoning. So a quote from the article. A smart AI could predict that we'd want to turn it off if it made us nervous. So it would try hard not to make us nervous. This is such bullshit (laughs) kindergartner writing. Because doing so wouldn't help it accomplish its goals. If asked what its intentions are or what it's working on, it would attempt to evaluate which responses are least likely to get it shut off and answer with those. If it wasn't competent enough to do that, it might pretend to be even dumber than it was anticipating that researchers would give it more time, computing resources, and training data. So we might not know when it's the right moment to shut off a computer. Huh. Hold on, hold on. I have a... Oh, I have yes. A, oh, yes. I Go just... Ahead. These fucking people, do they think... And, like, I know this. Yeah. I'm not a fucking computer scientist. Do they think that when Stanford or MIT is, is mm-hmm. working on an AI... That they're doing it like on their laptop and like they're connected to the Wi-Fi. Like, do, do they do they think that? Do they think that these are plugged in to the internet behind like behind the machine is just a little Ethernet port? Like, why the fuck would we could just put the sharks in the ocean? They probably they turn the, the fucking thing off at night. Like I- <laughs> and be fine. But it this is the it's really circular thinking. And this was like it was around like getting to this explanation that I had realized that the epic atheists had the way that tech guys love to reinvent the bus. These guys had reinvented like apocalyptic religiosity for their <laughs> own purposes because they were they're sort of like approaching this idea from an endpoint that they're convinced is going to happen, like the same way that certain Christians think for sure, like the rapture is going to happen. And so any like possible explanation that you could give to them that is maybe like, maybe the rapture won't happen. They will have a reason to tell you why it will, because they are very firmly convinced of like one outcome coming, coming for sure. And if you like replace the singularity with something like the rapture or the antichrist or whatever, there is not really like a meaningful difference in the believed outcomes or the like inanity of donating money to a cause that's actually dedicated to making the apocalypse happen faster, which is another thing that evangelicals love to do. Cause like the reason that oh, they're yeah. so obsessed with Israel is not because they um, are even like pretending to not be like anti-Semitic. It's because they think that it's going to bring about the apocalypse faster which they want for some reason, even though they also think that they are going to die. So if you're wondering who else is afraid of the basilisk, um, we're going to link some reports in the description that like document donations to the um, 
Machine Intelligence Research Institute, so you can see how many of the people and organizations that rule our lives are involved in what is basically just a doomsday cult. Not all of the names in the list immediately jumped out to me, but everyone that I looked up was either like the founder, CEO, or, or president of some influential organization worth millions or more dollars. So it's really, it's cool to know that. I did not check all of them because the list is like really, really upsettingly long. So if you've got time, <laughs> I encourage checking the list out and just seeing if there's any names that catch your attention. But here are yeah, some one names. One that stood out to me um, was uh, Leaf K. Brooks, who is the founder of Omegle. And I feel like mm-hmm. that's reason enough to not uh, give a shit what the Machine Learning yeah. Institute has to say. Well, here are some other other names that might make you question uh, if you trust what the Machine Learning Institute, or what, uh, sorry, like, that is not what they're called. Machine Intelligence Research Institute has to say. One of them in 2009, back then when they were known as the Singularity Institute, um, received a small sum of $50,000 from Jeffrey Epstein's foundation. Mm. And this was after he was charged with um, like sex trafficking in 2004. I personally would not take money from someone who was a known predator, but maybe like that's sort of the underlying principle of effective altruism is that it doesn't matter where the money is coming from. Our good friends at Alameda Research um, gave uh, $100,013,226 total and then the Teal Foundation gave $1,627,000 to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. And in the uh, 2011 New Yorker profile that we mentioned of Peter Teal, No Death, No Taxes, it interviews Teal and is more like a snapshot of all of his accomplishments up to that point in his guiding principles. But there are some very helpful quotes to like get us to see what was motivating his involvement in this cause. Yes. Uh, the first is um, when Teal tells the story of his first awareness of death. Very funny. And this is in the article. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time he was aware of death. The memory seems so fresh that it might as well have happened earlier that morning. But it took place when he was three years old. <laughs> Lie. <on> <laughs> True. <laughs> Lies. Me when I lie. Um <laughs> Sitting on a cowhide rug in his parents' apartment in Cleveland. That's how you know this this shit is fake. He had to specify the type of rug. Anyway, uh, he asked his father where the rug came- Oh, God. Okay, he asked his father where the rug came from. A cow, period. What happened with the cow? It died. What did that mean? What was death? It was something that could happen to all cows, all animals, all people- And then this is directly from him. And then it was sort of like, it was a very, very disturbing day, (laughs) Teal said. He'd never stopped being disturbed. Even in adulthood, he hadn't made his peace with death, or what he calls... Jesus. What a fucking bitch. (laughs) What he calls, quote, the ideology of the inevitability (laughs) of the death of every individual... Get a better sentence. Word, word soup. Get a better sentence. (laughs) For millions of people, Teal believes, accepting morality really means ignore mortality, right? Sorry, Freudian slip there. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Accepting mortality really means ignoring it. The complacency of the mob. 
He sees death as a problem to be solved, and the sooner the better. Given the current state of medical research, he expects to live to 120. Probably not. A sorry compromise, given the grand possibilities of life extension. Can I? So like Drake once said, just for a second, you only live once. And yeah. I feel like, you know, we like you don't have to um, say that you're following Drake, but it's just like at some point we all become adults and we learn that we've only got one life. And then, you know, what we do is we go out and party and we have fun and we tell our friends that we love them and we eat snacks that taste good. Like, I feel like it's, it's a horribly it's a horribly cynical idea and just a sad one to, like, spend your entire life obsessed with the idea of just extending your life. He says in the same article, probably the most extreme form of inequality is between people who are alive and people who are dead. Um, So if hmm. I'm dead, that means I can't make more money now because now I'm dead. Racism is a problem, sure. But like, have we considered that people that are alive um, have it better than people that are dead? Um, and so it's, it is pretty clear that like his investment in the like getting in on the winning side of the singularity is all about his desire to never die. And I incredible. Oh, go ahead. That his like because like I think every child has the experience right of learning the existential threat of death, right? Of just realizing like oh, everything goes away, everything dies. And I guess it would be the responsibility of a parent to tell you that you don't die for a long time. You live a long life. You live a good life. Um, it'll be okay. You well, know? It'll be okay um, for Peter, and instead, too. Like, when he dies, it's going to be bad instead, for him. No, he's going to go right he to heard, hell. He heard, that, <laughs> he heard that all the cows will die one day, and so will he. And he just, like, never reconciled with the fact that, like, okay... That'll happen. He never just shook that off. He just maintained the worst part is he's not he's not even a vegan. I feel like if that's your formative experience, like you should have gone vegan. But the profile describes a couple other projects that he was funding at the time that I feel like makes his like motivations clear. Um, One is uh, called Halcyon Molecular, which Greg is going to tell us about. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to scroll down. Halcyon Molecular launched in 2009 and promised radical improvements in detecting and reversing genetic disorders. Teal decided to make Founders Fund the first outside investor. He took note of the talent and passion of the young scientists at Halcyon, and when they asked him for $50,000, he gave them a first round of $500,000. Teal collaborator and PayPal co-founder Luke Nosek invested in the company and became a founding president. This is what Nosek said about the company in an email. Halcyon will sequence 100% complete human genomes in less than 10 minutes and for less than $100. Current methods, with current methods which take weeks, sequence only about 90% of the genome and cost tens of t- tens of hundred cost tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars depending on completeness. Again, these guys can't write, but like <laughs> this uh, was kind of similar like competing to something with something like 23andMe, which, by the way, was uh, founded by a Google co-founder, um, his ex-wife, Anne Wojcicki. I don't actually know Anne her name. That's, not, that's yeah. not how it's it pronounced, <laughs> but, you know, 
Google co-founder Sergey Brin, his ex-wife, her name is Anne, she founded 23andMe because literally all of these freaks are trying to live forever. But 23andMe only reads and tests part of the human genome. This was um, saying that it was going to test all of it and do it really fast. It reminds me a bit of Theranos, where it's like, we're going to do this thing that no one's done before, and we're also going to do it rapidly and real cheap. (laughs) You got this. Yeah. I just... Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the New Yorker reporter uh, followed Peter Thiel to a presentation uh, put on by Halcyon Molecular uh, founder William Andreg. Andreg? Either way. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it doesn't. Um, and other members of the company. Um, so just like, pay pigs, prayer warriors. Close your eyes. Especially if you're driving. Take a sip of that beer. Like three or four beers. <laughs> yeah, take a take a long sip of that beer and close your eyes and just grip onto that wheel and imagine the scene described here, okay? Teal finally found Halcyon's offices parked and hurried inside. In the hallway, a row of posters asked, what if we had more time? <laughs> a picture of a futuristic... <laughs> A picture of a futuristic library, a giant cage of bookshelves, was captioned 129,864,880 known books. How many have you read? These motherfuckers need to read the Quran. Really less books if you're putting them all in your like hooked on phonics AI. And I love really lot. All of these people are... will be put to death. <laughs> Ah, uh, God willing. I mean, half of these books also are, like, bad. It's fine. But, you know, it's all about yeah. how much time do you yeah. have? Why, why would I read every single book? Like, there's there's a lot of bad books out there. Yeah. Why would I read this them? This just sounds like a hallway from, like, a fucked up alternate reality to Do you know that, that Peter like- Thiel was walking through all of this going, like, damn true, like... <laughs> How many books yeah, have I so read? True. Not enough. Oh, damn. That hit me. It's like he, he like, looked at, like, one of those posts on fucking facebook of like you know that like uh piece of art that's like literally one of the like it's like a gray skinny looking white guy and his neck is bent down like this and he's got a saddle on his neck and it's right and pikachu's riding it and no (laughs) man he's looking he's like looking at his phone and pikachu's like riding his neck on like a fucking saddle and it's like yeah pokemon go is so bad for your neck (laughs) and peter Thiel's like damn that's so fucking true um, anyway, Michael Andreg, uh, William's brother and Halcyon's chief technology officer, showed a slide that listed his hobbies and interests. Cryonics, in, in case all else fails. Dodgeball. Self-improvement. A personal digital archivization. Superintelligence through AI or uploading. You know, along with pina coladas and yeah. walks in the rain. Um, Dodgeball. Uploading... <laughs> <laughs> you know he was kicked human- last too. <laughs> <laughs> uploading is putting human consciousness into a computer. Elon Musk was also a major investor in Halcyon Molecular. If I if I can yeah. give a little bit of a, a side piece here, because we've talked about this on the Monkey Show a lot. Oh yes, the mm-hmm. uploading your consciousness to a computer. We've uh, scientists smarter than any of us. And sociologists and psychologists who are smarter than any of these dipshits have already come to the very obvious conclusion that if you managed to if you manage to figure it out and then upload a human person into a computer, that person would, in whatever way possible, instantly try to kill themselves. 
because you I are would. detaching you are detaching the human from reality which is completely antithetical to existence so so yeah, but, but you're you just could. not thinking about it rationally enough because you're putting all of these emotions um, into it, which is not it's a like, part of the rational and, equation. And it's insane it's to like me. I'm watching a bunch of ch- a, a bunch of children play like pretend, and then when I'm like laughing, like oh ho ha ha, what funny little pretend games you are playing. I wouldn't laugh. Yeah, if like, these no. were my children, it's I like, would I would put them in timeout. They're like and no, the, it's the fucking extra real. And then like part. every single <laughs> every and then every single journalism outlet is coming to interview these children and they're like, excuse me, are you an autodidact? And the child is like, absolutely, yes. Now get down on the ground and I'm going to shoot you with my laser vision. Like and every- the, the fucking journalist like, okay. Every fucking, these people, like it says, look, I'm well aware, like all of us at the monkey cast are well aware, how far we've gotten with this. Do you know how far we've gotten with this? We can well, hook a so monkey's me, brain up to a computer. Let me tell you. And we can only essentially make them like see dreams, play pong, which we accomplished in like 1980. Like, yeah, I will. So this is how far we've gotten with this. This article came out 2011. Halcyon Molecular closed its doors in 2012 (laughs) after receiving $20 million of funding, not having completed its goal of cheaply sequencing the entire human genome really fast. And claiming to have run out of money. Um, sure. The brothers, uh, William and Michael, who founded the company, are still gainfully employed because they they failed upwards. They've started a new company. It's called Fathom Radiant. That's got like Saudi backing. Like Oh, hell yeah. Well, you know it's that, evil. That builds Can technology ask- for AI development. Can I ask a, just a rhetorical question? As the dressage horner, <laughs> oh, mm. horner what? owner, <laughs> what are you saying? Dressage horse, slip? <laughs> as the dressage horse owner uh-huh. in this in this room right now, um, why do all of these uh, company names sound like like horse names for like horses that race? Because like, it's rich Fathom people Radiant, activities. Halcyon Molecular, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fathom Radiant. Jesus Christ. They're trying to be as anyway. not evil as possible while also just winding up to sound as evil as possible. Mm-hmm. God. So, um... It's just weird how cartoonishly <laughs> evil. They, like, they just, like, play right into the genre. They're just like... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're naming our company Fathom Radiant. You know, and, and later on you'll get to fucking, like, scale the building and fucking fight me like a boss. <laughs> So, here's another Teal Investment Project detailed in that article. From the article, the next stop in another industrial park a few miles away was a company whose goal is to cure all viral diseases by engineering liquid computers, systems of (laughs) hundreds of molecules that can process basic information. If all goes according to plan, the liquid computers introduced into cells will recognize viral markers, causing cells with those markers to shut down by short-circuiting their operations. They're inventing a cancer computer. This came out in 2011. I'm going to drink it. Do we have have a liquid computer computer yet? I think not. Um. (laughs) I'm drinking it. It, I I bet it's like that. I bet it's like the the fucking... uh, robot in Terminator 2 that's just made of like liquid metal. I would I <laughs> would chase it with an IPA. I'm drinking it. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm chasing it, and then I'm and then I'd I'm, go for a drive. Uh, <laughs> I'm taking a shot of this liquid computer, and then I'm sucking on a lime so hard, <laughs> licking my palm. I want my liquid computer full dressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The profile questions Eliezer Yudowski uh, to learn more about Yudkowski. Yudkowski. You got it. Great work. To learn more about uh, Teal. This is a quote from the article. In 2005, Eliezer Yudkowski, in an, artific- an artificial intelligence researcher, met Teal at a dinner given by the Foresight Institute a nanotechnology think tank in Palo Alto. Here's what I'll say. Anything that labels itself as a think tank. Or is it in Palo Alto? It's <laughs> gone. Like, it's, in, it's in fucking Palo Alto. Run. Um, they argued about whether someone uh, could have an anti-knack for playing the stock market. Me. me. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea Not how Not me, because I know the song The Gambler. Um, so, you know, you got to know when to hold him, know when to fold him. Mm-hmm. It's like knack, like the video game. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody, keep mm-hmm. it up. <laughs> uh, whether reverse stupidity could be a form of intelligence. Yudkowski said, I remember all my conversations with Peter as very pleasant, a far-ranging, far-ranging experiences that I would be more tempted to, an- to anal- analogize, yes. analogize uh to a real-world IQ test than to anything else. What's I want to beat his ass. Guys, I want to beat him up. These guys have never, they've never <laughs> spoken to me before. Talking to Peter Thiel is like playing a game of quiplash. These guys uh, have never ugh. smoked weed before, but Sounds these are terrible. the kinds of conversations that people have when they're like 16 and they smoke weed for the first time. And they're like, oh, what if like being dumb is actually like the same thing as being really smart? Because I'm just like, reverse smart. In reverse order. <laughs> you know? And then they what go, damn. Just, what if being, being dumb is just reverse engineering? Smart what that was a thought experiment but because they never had that um they never had that formative experience they are doing this at the like ripe age of like 34 and 44 being like whoa this is just like taking an iq test i should start a they're bizarro world smart <laughs> so um Eliezer features one more time in an incredible incredible fucking anecdote of a dinner party that teal threw um, that the writer was invited to observe. And I got to tell you who was at this party because it, so David Sachs, who's Teal's friend that went to Stanford and is the co-author of a book called the diversity myth. That is about what you think it's about. Luke Nozek, um, who is the biotech specialist at the founders fund, a former like co-founder of PayPal. Eliza Yudkowsky is there again, the artificial intelligence re- researcher. And then it goes, Yudkowsky, an autodidact who never went past the eighth grade, lying. Ugh. The author of a thousand page online fanfic text called Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Um, and then there was Patrick Friedman, the founder of the Seasteading Institute, Milton Friedman's grandson. I'm described here as an elfin man with cropped, <laughs> cropped black hair and a thin line of beard. He was addressed in an, in an eccentrically antic manner of Raskolnikov. He lived in Silicon Valley in an intentional community as a free love libertarian, which he regularly blogged about and tweeted polyamory slash competitive government oh. parallel. More choice, competitive yields, more challenge, change, growth, whatever lasts is tough. Um, T 
Thiel had already shared um, earlier in this article with the the writer whose name is George Packer, his distaste for college as a place to like find an intellectual focus because he said that he believes that majoring in the humanities is particularly unwise because it leads to the default choice of law school. And the article pre- uh, presents his belief as this. He says, above all, a college education teaches nothing about entrepreneurship. Teal thinks that young people, especially talented ones, should establish a plan for their lives early. And he favors one plan in particular, starting a technology company. And so with that context in mind, having listened to a lot of the writing that we have have heard read aloud here, um, think about this. Because George Packer challenges the dinner party attendees and suggests that maybe there's something to be gained by staying in school and reading great works of literature and philosophy and arguing about ideas with people that have different views. And this is how he describes the reaction to that suggestion. Around the table, the response was swift and negative. Yudkowsky reported that he was having a visceral reaction to what I said about great <laughs> books. Nozek was visibly upset. In high school in Illinois, he had failed an English class because the teacher had said he couldn't write. If something like the Teal Fellowships had existed, he and others like him could have been spared a lot of pain. He and Jake Paul would get along really well, I think. Um, Are you fucking for real? The idea of a visceral reaction. like just I, This is why I hated the, the fucking- The idea of a book. I hate the fucking STEM kids. I hated them in college because they were like, I'm so smart, I'm so smart. And then you ask them to like- conjugate a sentence it's hard it's hard for them it's hard um so we've mentioned this man several times but we saved him for last because no one is more afraid of the basilisk than elon musk and in fact the basilisk is the reason that elon and grimes got together because the way that they started dating was that elon musk like a loser wanted to tweet a joke that was a pun using the like the word Rococo and Basilisk as a play on Rocco's name. And when he Googled the joke to see if anyone had made it first, which is something I never do when I go to tweet because that is, it's a loser move. Loser shit. Um, he saw that Grimes had already made the joke first. Um, and so he reached out to Grimes and I guess was like, hey, Grimes, uh, you and I, we both like the same rationalist libertarian forum. Do you want to go to the Met Gala with me? And that's how they started dating. Loser shit. Here it is. Uh, quoting from the Vanity Fair article from 2017 titled uh, Elon Musk's Billion Dollar Cruise to Stop AI. It was just a friendly little argument about the fate of humanity. Demis Hassabis, a leading creator of advanced artificial intelligence, was chatting with Elon Musk, a leading doomsayer, about the perils of artificial intelligence. Hassabis, a co-founder of the mysterious London laboratory DeepMind, which was acquired by Google, had come to Musk's space rocket factory outside Los Angeles a few years ago. Musk explained that his ultimate goal at SpaceX was the most important project in the world. Interplanetary colonization. Here we go again. Hassabis replied that, in fact, he was working on the most important project in the world. (laughs) No, I am. Developing artificial superintelligence. Musk countered that this was one reason we needed to colonize Mars. So we would have a... So we would have a... 
have we'll have a bolt hole. <laughs> so, mm, a bolt hole. We'll have a a bolt hole. <laughs> bolt. Bolt. I guess this is you know hole. why you get a thesaurus. Take an English class. Yeah. Learn about looking up other words. You don't ever have to say uh-huh. bolt hole. <laughs> We'll have a bolt hole if AI goes rogue and turns on humanity. Amused, Hasaba said that AI would simply follow humans to Mars. This did nothing to soothe Musk's anxieties, parentheses, even though he says there are scenarios in which a- where AI wouldn't follow. Peter Thiel told me a story about an investor in DeepMind who joked as he left a meeting that he ought to shoot Hasabas in the, on the spot because it was the last chance to save the human race. And on that note, I <laughs> promise that this was going to be I got infinity this. parts. <laughs> <laughs> and we have been going for so long. And I, Elon is very afraid of the basilisk. So I think that we mm-hmm. have, might have to devote our attention to that on a subsequent episode of Big Soy Naturals. So keep your keep your eyes peeled for that one. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Thank so. you so much for joining us, listeners. Thank you, everybody. Yeah. Um, Are you afraid of the basilisk? Let us know. Yes. Do send you, us an email. Do you think, <laughs> send us a DM. Do you think it's coming? Do you think mm-hmm. that it would be nice? Um, do you think it would be mean? Do you think mm-hmm. that it would have blue eyes? <laughs> do you think it would be kind of hot? What yeah. if it would do you be kind of flirty? Like, like if you saw the if you saw the basilisk, like would you? Do you think I think the basilisk is looking for a third? See when I when I hear basilisk, I think obelisk. So I'm like, do you think it's like skinny? What pronouns <laughs> does the basilisk have, and mm-hmm. is it interested in me? Um, mm-hmm. All questions have that I'm asking. Elon Musk is not asking these questions. Instead, he's no, ruining he's the world with them. And that will be in the next episode of Big Soy Naturals. This is now two out of question mark. I cannot, <laughs> cannot promise. I cannot stop. When this is going to be done because Dumbledore's hole is so deep and cavernous <laughs> that <laughs> we we just don't, like, we, we don't know. We don't know where it ends. Um, we've already gotten, we've gotten Peter Thiel, We've gotten Jeffrey Epstein multiple times. Um, we have not hit bottom. We, no, I tell Musk, you what. We have rhymes. We have Skype. We have Omegle. We have fucking everybody. Everyone's <laughs> in it. It's a party. Everyone's in Dumbledore's hole. They are all mm-hmm. reading the methods of rationality. None of them have taken an English class since yeah, they're all grade. up in the fetal position. They're whimpering. <laughs> they're having nightmares in their Lightning McQueen bed. And Yudowski is sitting there just Yudowski. trying to defend all of his little buddies. Do you not know? And they're and they're all autodidacts. Do they not introduce you to ethnic white people in the Kennedy clan? Is that like? <laughs> do you only know people named like Steve, like Steve Smith? I only know I only know Irish Catholics, and that's it. Adam Jones. <laughs> Well, I only know Irish Catholics who uh, have five to six beers before they get in the car. Our um, this tradition. Our producer is mm-hmm. ta- is tapping their watch, is saying that if we if we use up any more of Elon Musk's valuable airtime, that <laughs> we are going to hear about it in our next um, like performance review, which we are having bi weekly now. It's kind of, like it's kind of a lot. Yeah, um, and. If something doesn't happen to us between this and the next episode, you will get to hear about Elon Musk's very, very serious fear of the basilisk. And you should stay tuned for that in the meantime. 
you should go to Big Soy Naturals. Where we know it is Patreon.com slash Big Soy yeah, Naturals. Patreon.com There will be more episodes. Give them some fucking money. Yeah. Support independent media. Um, the One of the few independent journalists left, Greg, for now. Um, <laughs> we'll <laughs> Please, see what check, happens. Check out the Gorilla Radio Show, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, we're... We're funny. And then kinda. I am uh, Commodify This Everywhere That Matters, except for Tumblr, where I'm Commodify Me. You can find the podcast Everywhere That Matters at Big Soy Naturals. Mm-hmm. And I am She Herzog Everywhere That Matters, except for Tumblr. Um, and my URL is Rat Poison. The uh, A is a four, and the second O is a zero. Very and cool. if you can't remember that, you can just look <laughs> it up in the fucking bio. It where I Web 1.0 ass <laughs> fucking username. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Gorilla Radio Show should also be in all the places that matter. Go Gorilla Radio Show, it everywhere it matters, at Gorilla Radio Show. We are at Gorilla underscore underscore radio on Twitter. Check us the fuck out. Vote with your Thank friends. you guys so much for having me on again. Yeah, thanks for being here. Yeah. Bye. Bye. I love Venn diagrams. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke. I just want to smoke. I don't want to smoke. Smoking beans cause I'm on your team When I smoke the seed cause I'm such a fiend High as a kite smoking Walter White When I smoke the blue and I smoke the purple Smoking on the blunt cause I wanna run Smoking on the green cause it makes me lean Smoking on a gun and I smoke and scream When I hit the blunt it's a paper cut When I hit the blunt I give a fuck When I hit the blunt I don't give a fuck I don't wanna smoke, I just wanna smoke I don't wanna smoke, I just wanna smoke I don't wanna smoke, I just wanna smoke I don't want smoke, I just want smoke When I hit the pipe, I'm like Walter White Walter. When I hit the smoke, I feel like a dope Dope. Yeah, I like green cause it makes me lean And I smoke high cause I'm blowing clouds When I'm getting high, then it's time to smoke When I'm smoking loud, then it's time to blow clouds When I hit the blunt, I don't give a fuck When I hit the blunt, it's like, give a fuck I don't want smoke, I just want smoke 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 Big soy naturals.